welcome to the agency podcast. Eugene here, your agent in Toronto. And Candy here on Long Island Sound in Connecticut. Beautiful Connecticut. I've never been to Connecticut. Connecticut. Oh, it is beautiful. I've heard that. I've heard it's a really nice place. Yep. Yep. And it's very nice. We're here with our buddy that met us in um, New Orleans, Andrew Shand, who we call Fusion because that's his favorite music. (laughs) We just just call him Fusion. And um, he met us in New Orleans a couple of months ago, you might remember. And then we've come out here and we did our first. We've done two or three driving stints in the last few hours. We're staying on top of it. We got him right behind the wheel right away. All right. He's getting his life, his uh, driver's license. So he's got his learner's license for the first time in his life. And um, he's working on it. So you had a little driving mishap, I understand. I who, did. who was driving? Me. Me. It was on the highway. And we don't know what came. It, it Stay things that looked like a golf ball. I thought it looked like a baseball. And it smashed the window real good. And of course, one thing leads to another. We're just waiting to get it fixed this afternoon. And um, that was a real bummer. The adrenaline was intense and we didn't go off the road. We stayed with it, but it really smashed up the window. And that's why we're recording today on Wednesday, as opposed to Tuesday. We try to get the podcast out every Tuesday if we can, Mm -hmm. but every Mm -hmm. now and then life gets in the way. And that's what happened yesterday. So uh, we are here and uh, sorry for the delay, folks. Yeah. And um, no one was hurt and uh, the deductible doesn't cover it. So, you know, here we are all over again. (laughs) (laughs) Connecticut yeah Connecticut has a law though that it must cover um glass replacement in the insurance without a deductible I suppose so many people were so sick of that that you pay insurance I've never made a claim for insurance ever in my life and you know here you think all these years you pay this and uh, and you make you try to make one claim and you're not covered isn't that the way yep yep so true how do I sound do I need to put a muffer on my um on my microphone. Uh, you seem I just to, realized now. You seem to sound brought, okay. You could put the good, mu- you could put the muffler on if you want. There, I brought my mic. Oh and, well, that's um, better. Is Is it, isn't that better, folks? Yeah. yeah, it does sound better. I feel better <laughs> with that big puffy ball in my face there. Um, yeah. yeah, it's weird because I forgot my um head, headphones and mic when I was in Tennessee, so I was just talking into the computer. Ah. <laughs> I feel so much more professional now. Well, you know, we we try to have a, a high level of professionalism, but uh, right. failing that, we do our best. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a meeting with uh, Vito, who's organizing the group show at Martin's Corner, and he was going to meet with us today, but he was too busy this morning to to make it on on today. So we might try for next week's episode to just do a quick promo, okay? Okay. So that's at 2058 West 22nd Place in Chicago on October 31st. It's going to be there for, I think, at least six weeks. So that's right in your neighborhood. It's it's down the street. Beautiful. We've been going to Martin's for since we moved there. Actually, maybe before we moved to Pilsen. And it's one of our favorite places. They always have excellent food. For a while, they had gumbo and a Cajun chef there. Um, but And I don't know if they still have some Cajun meals, but they have an amazing meatloaf. And oh, wow. So if you're in they, Chicago, you can go to Martin's. You uh-huh. can get beer. You can get yep. meatloaf. And yep. you can buy candy minks and stag art <laughs> at the same time. That's right. That's right. For six weeks. And then after that six weeks, let's say December 13th, 
something like that. Um, we're going to have a party where there's the artists are going to be selling little things they made, different little wares, vendors. Perfect. We're going to, you know, maybe just in time candles. for the holiday season. Correct. You, you, you read that marketing strategy. Very well, well, you know, you? marketing are us. Yes. <laughs> no, whatever. <laughs> That's right. And there will be mugs available at this opening on October 31st. Should anyone want to come over and get an agency mug? And really, we'll have some there. I could tell you, I'm here with my friend, the Duke of Earl Grey. And um, <laughs> I could I could tell you that uh, his wares are best in an agency right. mug. Good, good, good. Um, oh, something funny just I just remembered now was um, we ran out to get bagels. So Stag stayed here at the house. And Andrew and I, you know, take advantage of this driving lesson or this driving time. It's not really a lesson. Um, I guess it is a lesson, but he's been taking professional lessons, but he needs hours, right? He just needs time Yes. behind the wheel. And, you know, a lot of people don't drive and he doesn't know a lot of drivers. So it's kind of good. We're here to do this with him. And so we go get bagels and then he wants to park. Now he has a very, very tiny parking area by the garage underneath the house. And it's quite quaint. It's ancient rocks stacked up to make a nice shape of a driveway. I, When I come here, I park forward. And then I just back out because it's so narrow. Andrew wants to back in. So I, well, hey, you know, you know why? Because there are two kinds of people in this world. There are the people <laughs> who pull in and back out. And mm-hmm. there are the people who back in and pull out. And no, they're and different I, different kinds of people. It's just, right, you I, can divide the universe of drivers into two camps. The, you could. The polar inners and the backer inners. But I'm ambidextrous. I'll do both. I prefer to back in, but this is such a narrow space. You, I can't do it without a guide. Really? It's better with a guide. Um, <clears throat> although my old car, the Cabrio, would fit in there rather nicely. This car does not fit in so nice. But anyway, Andrew's going to back in, which is great because it's so safe coming out. Feels good. It's a. It, I'll take a picture of the space, and you'll see why. Anyway, so this morning I'm standing on the, the bricks, those stones, and I'm giving directions. And you know, I forgot. When you say straighten the car out, someone who hasn't driven doesn't know what that means. When you're still learning, you don't realize the experience of straight it out. So I'm calling, turn your wheel left, turn your wheel left. Then I'm like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> And we did have a little bump into the brick. And I was, like, can, yes. I was like, can you hear me say stop? He goes, yeah. And I said, okay, because you need to stop when I say stop. Because <laughs> it looked like you couldn't hear me. <laughs> because he I wasn't said, no stopping, judgment. right? I said, no, yes, that's right. I said, no judgment. I'm just trying to save your wall and my car. And I wasn't judging you. <laughs> anyway, we get in the house and stay like, is everybody okay? Because <laughs> he just heard me laying on the street. <laughs> I wondered if he was going to be able to hear that. It's kind of crazy. And we're going to drive to the to the shop to get the windshield repaired. And we're going to drive to a furniture store. And we drove to the beach last night. So we had a little walk on the beach. That's a Long Island Sound. Nice. Yeah. So how what a great feeling for me to be on an ocean. It just makes my whole like universe. I feel like I leveled out everywhere. I understand that. I feel that way when I get mm. on a river. There you go. Mm-hmm. You know, as Ramblin' yep. Jack used to say, he probably still says, because <laughs> he's still around in his 90s. Um, mm-hmm. uh, have you ever, did you ever get a shiver when you're looking at a river? <laughs> cool. 
you know, I ate a lot of great food in uh, Knoxville. I posted some pictures on Instagram mm. and Facebook, but I'm telling you, whoa, was there some good food there? And in Nashville, I'm crazy for this place. We went to it before, not the butcher and bee that I mentioned before. We're staying in an emergency landed on our way to New Orleans. Remember when I was like, we have to get there before the restaurant closes to get my whipped feta and fermented honey. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Well, this time it was like not that restaurant. We bypassed that one. And we went, the only store, the only Trader Joe's near my friend's place is in Nashville. It's not in Clarksville. Clarksville's too small. So it's about a 45, 60 minute drive to the Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. So off we go. We need, we need supplies. And across the street is this incredible restaurant called True Food Kitchen. I hated the name when I first saw it, mm -hmm. but the food's so good, I don't care what they call it. <laughs> it's amazing. Hey, you know, I thought of you the other day because I was digging through the fridge trying to rustle up some lunch. <laughs> and what yeah. do I find uh, tucked away in the fridge but a Trader Joe's salami? Mm. Oh, my God. That was a few months ago. Yes, this whole chub of salami. But it's... <laughs> It's fine, you know, because it's, well, it's cured, you know. Oh, no, it was the chunk of it. It wasn't the slices. No, it, it wasn't was the slices. Yeah. This great we didn't open it. Let's call it a chub, Ooh. a chub of yeah. salami. Is okay. that what you do? You call it a chub? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds really dirty. Mom, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty um, good, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we also good. discovered in the cupboard some Trader Joe's salsa. And I think it's mm. good for months. We're going to keep discovering Trader Joe's food <laughs> that you've deposited well, in our house. And hopefully we'll be back before that runs out <laughs> to bring you more. There is a guy in Vancouver who um, brings Trader Joe's food across the border all the time. And he has a little store set up with it. I have no idea what oh, he that's charges hilarious. for. It. So yeah, he, like, yeah. he resells Trader Joe's. Goods. Yes. Yes. What yes. a scream. It is a scream. Trader Joe's is an amazing store. It's a fantastic store. So excellent. And you know, a lot of their products come from Canada. Really? Yep. Who knew? Who knew? Not I guess just the geez. maple syrup. Not just the maple syrup. No, there's all kinds of things that are made in Canada in there. Wow. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Although I don't know. I suppose there's no shipping problems between Canada and the States right now. Just customs outside of the United States. Do you um, have problems like that in Canada? There's, um, there's problems right now getting some things from the States across the border. Mm. Uh, I... I ordered an under quilt for my camping hammock from a fellow mm -hmm. in Manitoba. And he emailed me a couple of weeks ago and, and said, and said, Hey, Eugene, I should have sent you mm -hmm. your, your under quilt um, already, <laughs> but um, I'm having trouble getting my insulation material across the border mm -hmm. from the States. So mm -hmm. he's finally got his shipment. Uh, it took him an extra three weeks longer wow. than he expected. And my, uh, my under quilt will be, on its way. The idea with the wow. underquilt is it's like a sleeping bag that goes underneath the hammock. And you want it underneath the hammock because when you lie in the hammock, you don't crush the insulation. So it's underneath and it has its full fluff and it's the fluff that mm. creates the insulation mm. value. So uh, I had this guy who makes them to order in Manitoba, uh, make me one and uh, it's, right. it's on its way. It's really funny, isn't it? Because you think, oh, well, we, we can't get this stuff. And then there's countries where it's always like that. That's right. Yeah. It's always like that. Only it could be food. It could be something more yes, pressing, course. an emergency or something. Because in um, Clarksville, Tennessee and Nashville, there were all kinds of problems with um, things for housing. 
So some plumbing attachments weren't available. They had to be ordered okay. on Amazon and no one really, it said three weeks, but no one was really sure. Is that true? And then there was missing paint. Like there was paint. They didn't have any pigment for certain tints hmm. of color. So I thought that was really. Well, here through the pandemic, we've had a lumber issue here in oh. the, uh, in, in, in the land of trees, uh, yeah. lumber has gone up in price like tremendously. And it's hmm. at times it's been, it's been hard to, to get, different lumber products and I think it's I think it has everything to do with uh the mills the mills I think had to shut down for a while because of COVID well yeah that does make sense hmm so remember yeah. remember last week I yeah. I talked about uh chess playing sisters the Botez sisters oh, yeah. right well, oh. you, you know, when you go on to YouTube on a certain mm -hmm. topic, YouTube keeps feeding you videos related sure. to that topic. So I was mm -hmm. I was on, on the YouTube so machine. So you got lots of videos about girls and sisters? Well, actually, I, <laughs> I saw the U.S. chess championships. Chess, uh, U.S. chess championships were being broadcast live from the St. Louis Chess Club. Um, oh, wow. on on youtube and it was there was like a week of live broadcasts wow it was fantastic the live broadcasts um were with um with three um three grandmasters um uh christian chirilla uh, yasser Sarah Wan and uh, Maurice Ashley, three grandmasters doing the commentary. And these guys, it was hilarious. They all thought they were Howard Cosell. You know, they're all <laughs> they're all uh, doing the whole uh, it's like a football broadcast. Right. And they're they're trying to keep it exciting and everything as they're you know, there's various different games going on at once. Yeah. So I started to follow this a little bit and I got sucked right in. <laughs> so first I watched um, uh, the U.S. Women's Championships. And uh, the first thing I'm going to say is chess is pretty sexist. There's no doubt about it. The Botez sisters are right. Um, there's the, the, for the women's championship, there's $100,000 prize money and $25,000 goes to the, the winner, the first place winner. And the rest of the oh. money is divided up amongst the other, the other like second, third, fourth place, whatever. And I think the chess club takes a cut. And um, the men's championship is... Wait, 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 wait. Why are they divided? See, already there's a problem. Why are they separate categories? A separate... Uh, what's it called? Like a bond spiel. Why well, are they separate bond spiels? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there are... Um, there's a growing number of women players at high levels now, but uh, for many years, uh, there weren't nearly so many strong, um, strong female players. Um, it's really changing now. And um, I would like to see one championship, no division, because it's not like, um, like a sport where, um, men might have an advantage because men are bigger or, uh, right. you know, more powerful or something like that. Uh, I mean, it's all brain power you're dealing with. Yeah. That's right. what I'm saying. Yeah. I, so I, I agree. I see, no, it's like, um, it's almost like a shooting range. There's equality in, in like guns that it, it doesn't really take. Uh, exactly. You would think there would be, there. there would be equality in, uh, 
chess pieces, and even in the rankings. Um, the winner, uh, the woman's winner, was Carissa Yip. Um, mm -hmm. Fantastic player. Uh, she's the top-rated female chess player in the United States. She's 18 years old. Oh, my God. She was the youngest female player to be the, a grandmaster at age 10. Damn. So her, she's titled, and her title is International Women's Master, as okay. opposed to International Master. And it's like it's a slight on her title, if you ask me. Well, um, and even master is a sexist term. So yes, of course. It's, so, of course it's, it's ingrained so in that whole that whole culture. But yeah. man, the the women players, they're they're powerful players. And <laughs> um, you know, and I heard some interviews with Carissa Yip too, and she's so well spoken and just just delightful. Um Ooh. I really enjoyed watching those matches. And then after that, um the men's championship was was settled. Right, um, which I interrupted you on those figures. So $100,000 for female women. And $194,000 for the men. So, yeah, so the, the men's champion gets $50,000, double, double what the women women's champion gets. Mm -hmm. So I, I totally agree with you. They should have one champion. But I guess some people think that, that women's chess is it is far developed, I guess, and the women won't have an opportunity mixed together. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's the right thing, does it? I don't know. I'm very confused by this. Yeah. Now, having said that, there's two things that come to mind. One, Marvin Harris, the anthropologist, said that we found out that the difference in physical strength between males and females was really minor. We found that out in the 1970s. Do you know why? Marathon writing, running. Ah. So it's very, like, maybe 15% difference, I think was what I, no, I'm going to, I haven't read this for a long time, but that's an old memory of mine from when I was uh, studying uh, his yeah, work. And, and I, it um, probably depends on the, on the sport. You know, yeah, I remember as a kid when uh, there was that tennis match between Billie Jean King and well, Bobby Riggs, right? Exactly. And, and you see how powerful Billie Jean King was, but she was also playing a guy who was like way past his prime, way, way past right. his prime. So in right. that sport, it would appear, it would mm -hmm. appear that the strongest men are stronger than the strongest women. But on the other right. hand, you got the Williams sisters and hell, I wouldn't want to play them, that's <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I know. So amazing. Hey, and there's going to so, be a biopic coming coming out oh. about the Williams sisters and their dad. Oh, so interesting. I'll for it. It's going to be really, really good. That should be and great. They're Did superheroes you? as far as I'm concerned. So yes, I'm really I, looking forward I agree. to seeing it. And I think, I think Jamie Foxx plays her father. I think. Oh, damn. I could be wrong. And uh, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But mm -hmm. I, I did see uh, a preview when we were off seeing some movie or, right. or another. So right. anyway, I was watching these championships and in the, uh, in the men's championships, the, uh, the second rated man chess player uh -huh. in the world is Fabiano uh, Caruana. And he looked like, looked like he was going to win it. He had to win one game to lock down the, the championship and he was in really, really good shape. And he was playing this game against Wesley. So, and Wesley, so somehow or another um, managed to uh, uh, manage to escape his attacks. So uh, it turned out to be a three-way draw between Sam Sevian, Wesley, so, and Fabi Carwana. So they had to have a, uh, 
a rapid chess round robin playoff, which was yesterday. And in a way, I was glad that uh, that uh, the I wasn't glad that the rock hit your car. Okay, I was not glad about that, but I was glad that I had the opportunity to rather than record this yesterday right. to watch the playoff because oh, there was three playoff games. So they each each of the three um, leaders got to play one another, and they played at they each had ten minutes per game with a mm-hmm. two second delay. I'd mm-hmm. never heard of this before. So the way that works is when one player makes his move and hits his clock, then there's a two second mm-hmm. delay before your clock starts. So the implications of that are that it's possible for you to have one second on the clock mm-hmm. and keep at one second and keep making moves within the two second delay. And you could play a whole game ostensibly at one second on the clock. Now, obviously that's almost impossible to do, uh, but that's how they set it up. And in, in the, in the first of the playoff matches, um, uh, Wesley. So and Fabi Carwata uh, were, were matched together. Super exciting. I thought, I thought Fabi had him on the ropes was going to beat him. And then, <laughs> and then Wesley, I don't know how he saved himself. And suddenly Fabi was out of time and lost on time. So oh, wow. the, the second game is Wesley. So and, and Sam Sevian and, um, uh, no, sorry. The second game was Fabi Carwada and Sam Sevian, and and Fabi beat Sam. And then the third game, Wesley So and Sam Sevian, and all Wesley had to do was draw to win, and <laughs> wow. he in fact won the game, and so he's the the U.S. champion. Um, Jeez, a really fantastic, exciting match. I, it sounds like it. I mean, I it was geek heaven. Okay, and I got yeah, sucked right yeah. into this. I I, I haven't yeah. probably played chess in thirty years. But I still, I know how to play and I'm interested in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really got sucked into the uh, the tournament atmosphere in spite of that kind of sexist division right. uh, that exists uh, right. in chess. Uh, I, I still really, really enjoyed the championship. Well, you know, um, and it's called tournament, not Bonspiel. Um, yeah, bond spiel I was is, trying to think. Curling. I know it's curling. I was just trying to think of what do we call a match? Hang yeah, on, I, I have to stop for oh, a second. I'm sorry. Okay, that's all right. I hope it's another insurance call from um, maybe a. We're trying to sell you your car warranty back to you. Yes, for Sheila, she knows she has an appointment. <laughs> but she can't talk uh, to let me see if I can think about what. What I'm going to talk about while Eugene is on the phone, um, the emergency, I was going to say, but Eugene's going to want to hear this, that there might be some kind of um, other reasons. Here comes Eugene. Eugene, I, I was going to add while you were gone. Just, I just before just before it. you do that, I'm going to cut yeah. out that little bit. I'm sorry I had to interrupt, but somebody oh. called twice and I thought it might be important. And okay. it turned out it wasn't that important, but right. I'm going to just count us in again. Okay. And, right, and I'll cut that it's up. up to you. Five, okay. four, three, two, one. Hi. So the um, what I was going to say, and I, I don't want the excitement of your um, now my phone is ringing. Is that weird? Um, the excitement of um, 
the tournament, I was thinking about that division of separating them into two different tournaments. You know, there was an argument that math class and different classes should be separated by gender because there's so many cultural reasons why kids might learn better among their own gender. It's just so weird. I mean, I, obviously, we're learning all of this stuff, and we seem to be unable to raise children immune to cultural influences of gender. And so I understood that they were putting, some schools were putting girls into a math class to see if it made it easier for them to do math. One of the arguments was that girls are conditioned to be, um, uh, to kind of not be competitive in math class and not excel mm. because they might be afraid of like, oh, I want the boys to look better than me and then the boys will like me. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's an urban myth or if I just read one article or whether it was really true. So there might be something about the personalities or cultural biases that there's a reason to separate the tournaments and give people who are maybe more shy or more I'm not used to being in the role of being the um, competitive. I don't know. Some though. people think that schools that are organized by gender, private schools, provide yeah. better education. And I, I don't know if that's true. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the gender division or right. it has to do with the fact that um, you're, as a parent, you're paying um, a shit yes. ton of money in order to get the highest qualified right. uh, teachers. I don't know. I have no idea. Really. I don't. I don't either. I don't have and kids. Not, I never thought about that very no, much. No, and I, I, I don't know either. And I don't know. I've never kind of looked into any studies on it because it would be kind of interesting. Because I think some of that is about the class and the fact that it's a paid school, and so therefore it has a different kind of culture. And if you don't fit in, there may be more stricter rules or there may be more compassion. So it could be so yeah. many variables. And different sets but, of problems. And like here we have, a, uh, we have a an all-male private school called St. Mike's in which there was a huge problem a year or so ago when a number of students were arrested um, mm -hmm. for um, hazing activities that turned out to involve the rape of other kids oh, with broomsticks. So, like, it's just really so disgusting. Gross. And those and then, are all going through the court now. And there seems to be some question as to whether these kids are going to be doing jail time or whether they're going mm. to uh, get probation or just, just what. But it seems like this hazing got way, way out of hand. And frankly, the whole idea of hazing is just disgusting to me, regardless disgusting. of what level. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I know. I know. Well, you and I both had um, unofficial hazing in high school, you know, where we might have felt like we were shunned sometimes by other kids or something. And we're not alone in that. Lots of people feel like they, I remember Rudy the bully, you know, in uh, Winnipeg, I would hide and I'd, I'd end up not going to school. I would hide in the bushes and go back home and tell my mom I was sick because I was terrified of yeah. um, being picked on by this guy. I, he terrorized I did not everyone. like high school at all. I, was, yeah. I wasn't very, I mean, still today, socially, I'm much, much better in small groups, two, three, four, even mm. five mm. people put me mm. at a party with 30 people or put me in a club or a bar. <laughs> and I, I just sit in the corner and don't talk to anybody. I just don't feel very comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so you have social anxiety. I don't know that it, it's anxiety. I don't feel anxious. I just oh. don't like it. 
I don't like to be in, in, in those larger groups. I'm much more comfortable right. with people right. I know in small groups. So right. in, in high school, outside of art class, um, which I liked because I just got really turned on by painting. You know, right. I remember going to the Art Gallery of Ontario while in high school and seeing this painting by John Meredith. And it just, it vexed me and challenged me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how is it that this thing can bother me so much? That this, right. this stupid painting can get under my skin and keep gnawing at me and I have to keep thinking about it. And <laughs> Well, you're precocious. And, and eventually I thought, you know, it's really interesting that an image, a single image, can capture my imagination um, right. so profoundly. Uh, and that was the start of the crazy idea I had that maybe I would be a painter. Like, right. I, I mean, I wish there was someone who said, don't do that. Like, what do you think I you're doing? That. That's stupid. Yeah, my, my parents were like that. They were like, don't do it. What else do you like doing? Oh, my um, parents were yeah. like, oh, sure, son, do that, but get a good job, too. Yes, yes. Um, oh, I loved being in my school, my high school in Kitimat, B.C. I really loved all the kids there, and I loved, the, I loved walking down the halls. I loved seeing people. I don't know why. It was just like I was in a good space then. I think I was, you know, starting to find out, feeling a little more confident in myself. Yeah. And, I felt that and way in I, university. Yeah, but not yeah. In, in high school. I was yeah. just a lost soul, really. Right. Well, I, I think I was I, I, I want to say I was, too. But at some point I was looking at my soul and finding it. How about that? Ah, well, uh, yeah. So I did have a, I did have a lot of it, a lot of fun in high school with people. And um, I love seeing everybody and going to a party or, you know, I wasn't the best student and I didn't like a lot of the classes, but I, I liked being there. I wasn't the best student because I was pretty lazy and didn't apply myself, but I found school to be tremendously easy at the high school level. I, yeah. it was just, I didn't bother to study much. It was just, it was easy to me. I got great marks uh, without yes. much effort, uh, yes. but I wasn't, I have to confess, I wasn't very interested in many of my courses. <laughs> uh, I really wasn't. I was much more. Yeah, I wasn't either. Um much more interested in university I just really I blossomed that way and even and socially you, too although I understand that I scared people at university you, I you found did. that out much later I thought oh yes did I really yes. apparently you, were very, I did. Uh, you would scare people um with your um when we did group critiques because everyone does intense. group critiques back then you were very intense <laughs> people people would cry <laughs> Oh, I never made anyone cry. I don't know about that. I don't think you made. I don't think you made anybody cry. I think I was just warned that you might, so I was really super ready for you. Wow. Okay. And so I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna do some witty banter with this guy. Oh, witty banter. That's <laughs> it. And we've been friends for how many years? And it all goes Long back time. to your witty banter. <laughs> well, and yours too. <laughs> uh, hey. I wanted to go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just wanted to say that I wanted people to check out, you know, it's funny, we were talking about uh, stand-up comics this morning, and Stag and I love stand-up comedy, but our host does not particularly be moved by it. It's not an art yes. form he's interested in. Yes, just like you. Um, it's an art form I am interested in. I really am fascinated by it all my life, and I love it. And I like all the bad, bad people. All well, the, I guess the and there's a lot of controversy right now in the stand-up comedy world from what I hear. 
Um, yes, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Okay. I saw one of those controversial people in Vegas, and his name was Emil Joaquin. And I recommend that you follow, somebody follows him, anybody listening on Instagram, because he's posting a lot of his routines. But he came out and he opened for Nikki Glaser, and he said some of the most outrageous stuff I've ever heard. He trashed nurses. He insulted nurses, and he talked about how bad they were and everything. Well, that's and not very the audience, nice. The audience went nuts. It was yeah, hilarious. The didn't like nurses? No, that's, there we go. There is the root of our problem right ah, there. Okay is that we think that these are real people with real opinions and it's reality it's art and it is basically it's art on the backs of nurses well well the funny part was i was there with a nurse Uh, however she fell asleep rather quickly during the routine because (laughs) i mentioned that before my theory is day drinking and i mean i i felt like i might fall asleep too but not because of the comedy no i think that this example of trashing nurses um, really, it's funny because it's not true. And the, do you know why he chose nurses? I have no idea. I don't, I don't know anything about either this health, guy or most stand-up comics. So healthcare professionals have been the heroes of the last two years, right? So it's like kicking puppies. It's not that you're kicking puppies. You're, he made it so funny by being controversial about trashing these nurses and healthcare professionals. No one thought he was literal. No one hated nurses. No one hates healthcare workers. Um, but, Everyone loves okay. them. They are heroes. Okay, but there's another comic who has raised has raised the ire of an entire community of people who seem to be quite hurt by it. No? I, I realize that. Yeah. Uh, that's why I chose to talk about nurses. Right. Right. Um, and I'm sure nurses might be insulted by this routine. I don't know. I, I, mean, I mean, I understand I in the other case that we aren't going to talk about, there's an entire well, we community of, of people who seem to feel that maybe they're in danger because uh, of the influence of this guy who's going to get other morons to, uh, other morons are going to are hurt them because of this mm-hmm. guy's words. I know. It, it, that, is, that is an age-old art problem that we've seen at least in the last... I'm going to say probably more verbally um, struggle with in the last hundred years. So why be hurt? I'd be, I'd be, I'm not finished yet. All right. Um, Because I don't, because I'm trying to think, I'm trying to find this into a broader picture of, um, of the last 200 years. Now he insulted me in that routine. We're talking about Dave Chappelle and he trashed me left, right and center, literally pussy hats, women's March, um, women, feminists. I haven't laughed so hard in my life because it's comedy and it's not true. Now, uh, they so you think say, you, oh, that was, it was, I mean, he's obviously walking a line uh, between the tremendously funny poking fun at our ourselves um, and, and the being hurtful. Um, and when you walk a line, there's always a danger of falling on the other side of it, sure, especially if sure. you really, you really push. Well, I wonder, you know, I want to go back to this bigger art, this bigger argument, because this argument isn't just in the realm of this art form. It's in several art forms. When I look at Goya's monster eating people, I don't feel like being a cannibal. I, I have no urge to be a cannibal when I look at that painting. 
Um, when I look at uh, her cutting off um, Hesiod, who's the woman, Judith, cutting off a head and holding it in my hands? I don't feel like chopping men's heads off. It's not making me go and do harm to the community. I don't feel driven to that. I'm I'm contained with understanding that there's reality and there's art. But in this, and in this storytelling, in this case, you're dealing with a community that has been victimized by women have been victimized forever, as well, and we are victimized, but not by the word of art, but by actual deeds. So, if, so art, if if you're a trans, if you are a trans person, and you mm-hmm. feel tremendously hurt by this guy's routine isn't that legitimate it's very legitimate now on that level you're absolutely right um i read a lot of articles written about this situation and the first five articles all said they didn't finish watching the the routine i thought that was very noteworthy because the punchlines also come at the end of the routine. I'm not, I think Dave may have made some mistakes in this. And I, I don't, mistake's too hard a word. He definitely knows that he was being controversial and being upsetting. And um, I am going to have a, it's a bit like the Passion of the Christ. When my friend said, you know, the portrayal in that movie was very damaging to her of Jewish people in that community in the movie, The Passion of Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's no argument for that. Um, that that did hurt her. So I would like to ask our listeners, uh, have you heard the Dave Chappelle routine, which I haven't heard, but I haven't heard anybody right. else's comic routines either. Right. So I want right. to ask our listeners, if you've heard this, uh, weigh in. What's your opinion on this? Do you think he was way out of line? Do you think what he's doing is okay? Uh, let's hear some opinions. Right. And, but so far we've only said that he was purposely hurting people's feelings. I don't think that's what he was doing at all. I don't think that's what it was at all. That doesn't mean that people weren't hurt. Um, I think he was stirring up shit for sure. Um, well, that's pretty obvious. I mean, no one's going to say he wasn't stirring up shit. As soon as you target, um, a part of your audience, you're stirring up shit. I guess this is very frustrating for me. And it's this whole idea that we frame the routine on one level. And it's being framed in the public right now as Dave Chappelle went out there and is uh, transphobic and he's hurting people. Do you think he's transphobic? Not at all. No, I don't. No, I highly, I highly, he's one of the most spiritual people I've ever seen perform or hear in his philosophies. I doubt it. What he is, is he's against censorship and he's against mind control and his point and he, i don't think he should have done it the way he did it on this routine i i will be willing to say that but the root the, the point is that up until about 20 years ago or 25 years ago fascists were the ones doing censorship and now it's liberals doing censorship and that is the point that many comics are making and many artists are trying to point out. Do I agree with how, I don't care how Dave Chappelle did it because that's his so, business. So you I think, you think comics should, should go out and target target different groups because they want to show that censorship is bad? It seems just as bad to go out and target different groups. I don't think, I don't think making fun of the Women's March and Pussy Hats was targeting me. I think it was showing the funny side of it. I don't feel targeted. I don't feel abused um, on that level. That doesn't mean I get to override other people feeling abused, though. That is up to them. Um, and 
I would recommend watching the whole routine personally. And when I read articles in the New York Times and, and various places where they hadn't watched the whole routine, I thought that was maybe as problematic. I don't see we're going to come out of this easily. And I don't think Dave is fixing it. I think he's hoping to fix this situation of censorship. Um, there's a difference between cancel, you know, the term cancel culture, which we didn't make up. That was made up by somebody in the media. I suppose we should find out who made that up. Um, but the idea that um, I'm not a moralist. So I'm not a moralist. And as an artist, I'm especially not a moralist. I don't have any interest in morality. I do have interest in ethics and I do have interest in freedom and um, everything is permitted and nothing is forbidden. And that would be William Burroughs saying it. Um, so the morality of the situation of the morality of whether someone is right or wrong making art or their routines or writing a character um, people get outraged at poetry. They got outraged at Lenny Bruce's routines. He hurt people. He was insulting. He was disgusting. He was um, George Carlin. He said seven words that you shouldn't say. And the only thing that's different is that this is moving into different realms of society where we are, these, these concepts. Not just different of, realms, seven words, seven words you can't say on, on television. Um doesn't target doesn't target a definable minority group right but it definitely targeted some people and many 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 people most of the united states population was completely freaked out yes by but that. it's a lot different to target most people than it is to target a marginalized group who have enough troubles trying to get by trying to exist in this world Right. And oh, they, Eugene, the, last, the, last, the last thing our, our friends in the trans community need is is some guy out there um, uh, being hurtful towards them. We don't need that. I don't I don't think we need that. I don't I don't want to listen. I don't want to go listen to this guy's routine because right. there's trans people who are who are offended by it. I, I just well, I, I understand that. I 100 percent agree with you on that. That's completely don't listen to it. it you're not going to enjoy it. Um, it's it, it isn't really there's something else going on with it that's not going to kind of I'm not sure how I could articulate it I don't know that I would do it the same way I, I, I don't know I would do it the same way but he had the freedom and the opportunity to do it I don't think that art causes harm in reality whatever happens in art does not cause harm in reality that I can see I don't see any correlation to that at all I understand the argument that people who are vulnerable feel when they see their community being portrayed in art in a negative light. I really do understand that. But to say that the matrix made kids go and kill other kids at school, I don't think there's any fact in that. You know, that's really that part of what Squid, Squid Game was doing as well. I mean, Squid Game took, took the gratuitous violence of video games that nobody takes seriously as real violence. Like you smash the monster with all your different weapons and you make him go splat. Um, and they said, well, what if that's real? What if that were real? And what if, uh, yes. what if people get killed as a result of the games? You know, that's the, mm -hmm. that's the mm -hmm. setup, that's the premise of the whole thing. Well, and a squid game, art, um, sports is a marriage of art and war, okay? Squid game puts it into the realm of 
takes away that sport. It becomes war and art because it's attractive. There's visuals involved, but it's war. It's, it's not a sport, it's pure war, and it's based on the argument and logic of war. Um, whereas sport is the marriage of those two things, and that's why we don't kill anybody when we're doing sport. You're supposed to be able to watch it, get passionate about your team, and walk away. Although certainly there have been some sports, like in boxing, um, was it Davy Moore who was killed in the ring? And I think mm -hmm. there may have been others as well over mm -hmm. the years. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the it's sport, but the idea of sport is you punch people out it's you know when i was a kid um i i followed boxing uh and my dad used to take me out to boxing and um i knew a couple of boxers pro boxers and um and so that was just it was kind of part of life and i never occurred to me that it might be a crazy thing that that i'm going out and watching two grown men punching the shit out of each other <laughs> yeah. you know but now yeah. in the fullness of many years later i couldn't watch a boxing match right. um right. i asked myself why do i want to see these two grown men right. punching each other right. i don't i don't want to see that right. uh, right. i i get that humans humans have a taste for that they have a taste for blood and uh and so it's popular in some cases among humans but not me not me anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really, I'm just really not interested in hurting anybody. Right. And it's like, I grew up going to rodeo and at some point it bothered me, you sure. know, all yeah. of a sudden I was like, and that's squid games playing with that too, yeah. is all of a sudden, I don't, I don't see any, this, this, that was when I went, obviously my awareness of totalitarian agriculture came around. It was like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I don't like it, you know? Um, I think that the, just what's going on right now between art and morality and politics and individual rights, we're not going to see that played out very quickly, very easily. I'd like to believe we would, but until people are really understanding that they're equal and that they need to work out this together without competing um, and putting, sharing that pressure to fight the establishment, I don't think we're gonna see it play out quickly. Also, Dave Chappelle has a very ethereal way of putting things. You've heard me say that Daniel Quinn says, if you're tired of moving stones, walk away, right? In response to the pyramids or slavery or civilization or corporate culture. It's like, you've got to walk away. Well, Dave Chappelle in this routine said, there's no change unless you get off the bus. The change isn't gonna happen if we all stay on the bus. And in a way he's almost, I, I took it as referring to, you can't just that Audrey quote that you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. You've got to get away from that in order to make the change to resist control systems. And um, he also talks about punching down. One of the flaws in his routine for me, minor flaw, I think he's a genius and I think he's incredible and I think he makes the world a better place. Having said that, it's such a nuanced argument that I'm not sure anyone will understand when he portrays, he forgets that lots of African-Americans are transgender. So he is addressing the white uh, morality of white, of white people in culture, saying, oh, everybody has rights and we have to do this and that. And he's saying, why are you punching down against black people in order to do it? 
And he makes a, a comparison with the baby who was, um, he got in trouble for saying something about gay people. And the thing is, the baby had actually been involved in a murder, but that didn't stop his career. And for Dave Chappelle, he wants the power that is um, in the gay community is so cohesive. He wishes it would support reparations, um, equality for African-Americans, and that there was a bit more of a team playing rather than punching down to people who have um, less rights in the world, like baby, who is a black man in America, um, maybe try to understand where that's coming from. And we just don't have, I don't see where we have a place, a platform to talk about these things. And everyone is afraid to talk about Dave Chappelle right now. Um, there's really? articles there's about how, There's tons of people talking about Dave Chappelle I all see over 20, the place. You just, I see 20 people, I mean, in the media, they are talking about it. But I think that people are afraid to defend or go against. Right now it is going against. There's a strong movement. I guess Netflix has got a walkout today, right? I heard that on the news this morning. Mm -hmm. What I mean is, it's not that I'm afraid to talk about Dave Chappelle, afraid to talk about this inequality in protest. That there is inequality in protest as well as inequality in mainstream society. And the, 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 the victims are not on the same, the minorities are not working together. They're not well, punching against the oppressor, they're punching against each other. How about that? They're fighting with each other instead of fighting against the control system. I can't say too much about it because uh, I have not watched the routine. and It's not going to be your cup of tea because you, don't, you would want to watch the first three or four that it's part of a series. Um, uh, I, I will only say that um, I, do, I do support the, the LGBTQ twin spirit community. And mm -hmm. um, if, there's, if there's people there who are feeling um, uh, slighted and attacked, um uh i think we need to pay attention to that and beyond that i can't really speak to it because you know i'm speaking to be speaking to something i don't know shit about yes right? and uh, me too i don't feel like i know shit about it either i know that we have a problem in finding platforms and ways whether it was town halls cohesive political movements or protest movements or whatever i'm not sure how that it's i don't know how this is going to work out i really don't and I don't see it happening any day soon. You mentioned the uh, corporate culture. Yes. And on, on that note, season three of Succession has started. <laughs> and what can be more fun than watching a bunch of entitled corporate assholes destroying one another? Mm -hmm. Really, that's jolly good fun. And um, right. so we were excited to tune in to the uh, the new episode. I'm going to say the first episode was really just so-so. And it was just so-so because... You know, they were regrouping and reintroducing all the characters and putting them in the their new milieu for this season mm -hmm. as the character of Kendall makes his play for the company. Uh, you know, I dislike all the characters, all of them in this. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's, for, <laughs> it's great fun because you could love to hate all of them. Yes, yes. <laughs> you could just go from character yeah. to character and they're all just disgusting, every single one of them. And having worked in uh, in, in a large corporation, um, I recognize some of the characters from the company <laughs> I worked in. Right. Uh, you right. know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. And I hope, you know, I hope they haven't just run out of juice and, and mm -hmm. that there's really another 
season of uh, of uh, good programming there. I have I have no idea what what's gonna what's gonna become of that. Cool. We also we also watched a Netflix production from Italy called Vendetta: Truth Lies at Truth Lies and the Mafia. Uh, <laughs> hey, I wonder if. Um, I wonder if our correspondent Sarah has uh, has watched that one. If you're out there, Sarah, uh, I recommend it. I'd love to know what you think about this one. It's uh, it's true crime set in Sicily, mm. and it's on the one hand, it's absolutely fascinating. On the other hand, about halfway in, there's not enough not enough happens to keep me from having a little nap during uh i think sheila and i each had a, a couple of naps during it um but it it deals with a guy who's a really aggressive anti-mafia journalist on mm -hmm. a, what appears to be a rinky dink tv station uh, and he mm -hmm. has he has this show that he does in which he goes out and he slags mafia members calling mm -hmm. them like shitheads and motherfuckers right. um on tv right. and um he's he's really aggressively going going after them and in doing so he starts to make lots of enemies and along the way um somebody kills his dogs um oh. yeah it's pretty scary and mm -hmm. then, then his name's Pino uh, Maniacci. And he's like, he's a larger than life kind of character. He's got this really amazing mustache. Like he's got so <laughs> much mustache. He's almost more mustache than face. Um, right. And he's he's like a chain smoker. And he, he like sticks his cigarette into his, uh, into his mustache. It's really quite mm -hmm. striking. Um, so there's this guy. And then people go to see him who have had their businesses confiscated because there's a judge named Silvana Saguto who has come up with a way of really sticking it to the mafia. She set up um, a system of seizures because she believes that the mafia, they're willing to accept prison time. They're willing to accept going on trial, being arrested, going on trial, doing a few years, cost of doing business, right? But what they don't want is their assets seized. So she started to aggressively seize the assets of the mafiosos. Okay, mm -hmm. fair enough. But some people are going to this reporter and saying, hey, I'm not mafia, but she seized my assets. And he starts looking into it. And what he starts to discover is there's irregularities and some of these assets that are being seized are going into the pockets allegedly of the magistrates. Mm -hmm. So he starts stirring up shit and an investigation starts and this judge gets stripped of her judgeship and she gets charged with all kinds of crimes uh basically stealing the money that that she sees from the mafia and assets and she in the meantime um or not her actually one of the mayors that this guy is pissed off has set up um maniachi and come out with a video that shows him accepting uh like extortion 
accepting mm-hmm. money and, and he's saying that that this guy is extorting from politicians by saying i'm going to put you on the air i'm going to do these pieces about you uh if mm-hmm. you don't give me money mm-hmm. um, so you've got the mafia you've got the judge you've got the reporter and they're all being accused of some kind of crime and they mm-hmm. all go to trial and what it tells me is that there's a lot of people at, at various different levels in Sicily who seem to be um, <laughs> making a good living out of crime. Uh, because is this true crime? It's or true is crime. This a, it's a true crime. It's a, it's a documentary. It's a documentary, yes. Okay, wow. Yes. So this judge yeah. ends up getting charged and her husband and her parents because um, wow. they're, they're the, the husband is getting a salary that's coming from <laughs> the seized assets. Okay. Oh, yeah. So so she's in big, big shit. The reporter's in big shit because he might be an extortionist. And meantime, the mafia guys are the mafia guys. They're doing their own crime. So oh it's God. like it's a place that seemed to be filled with crime. Different air, different gray areas of levels of mm-hmm. crime going on. Um, Almost as bad as Chicago. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I, I tell you, it doesn't say a lot for the uh, Italian justice system, what's going <laughs> on in here. Um, although right. it, the series, uh, there's several episodes. It's not all great. Mm-hmm. The story is riveting, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. it it has some slow parts to it. Um, so I'm okay. going to highly recommend that Vendetta, Truth, Truth, Lies, and the Mafia. I can't uh, wait to watch it. Yeah, and if any of our listeners out there have uh, uh, have watched this, it's full of all kinds of conspiracy stuff and, um, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's plotting against everybody else. And, uh, it's right. jolly good fun. Right. Um, well, I started, uh, I've started a couple of things. One, I started... I've started something and I finished something. So one is I started watching The Last Kingdom and it's a 2015 production and it looks like there's four seasons and there's a fifth one coming out now. And it begins in 866 on uh, the island of the UK. And it's basically, um, it's not England as we know it, not just because it's olden times, but because of the structure of society is not created the way it is now. So is this a costumer? it's a costumer. It's not a bodice ripper. It's, um, <laughs> it's, um, although there is some sex, but it's, um, it's based on the books by Bernard Cornwall, who I never read. I was very familiar with him when I worked in a bookstore though, um, because it was like R.R. Martin. These books were highly popular oh, okay. and were flying off the shelves, but I didn't read R.R. Martin either. And I, I, was dragged kicking and screaming to Game of Thrones and fell so in love with So is this like it. a Game of Thrones type no, of show? No, no, not at all. No, yes and no. It's more like, it's like Game of Thrones in the way that Game of Thrones is like Shakespeare. Okay? It's the palace intrigue. It's a struggle for kingdom. It's tribal warfare. You basically have um, Anglo-Saxons and then some of my people, the Danes. And, you know, the Danes are, you know, What's the nice word for the Danes rather than rape and pillage? <laughs> there's something, there's a nicer word. Anyway, you have I'm to sure struggle. there are some Danes out there who uh, have resent the resent, rape and pillage. Yes. And there's many Italians who resent the crime mafia stereotype too. Mm. And you know, these stereotypes, these cultural stereotypes, this goes back to Dave Chappelle, 
we're going to be working with and with it, without them and against them and trying to solve them all through the next few years. We're trying to figure that out. And anthropologically, I don't know how it's going to fall out. I don't know how this is going to land. But, it, you know, it's not going to land today. It's obvious we're watching something very interesting going on. And what bugs me is that people, the reason I wanted to mention cancel culture earlier was the convolution between Charlie Rose and Harvey Weinstein. That's not cancel culture. They got fired. They're rich. They got fired. They lost their fucking jobs. Boo-hoo. They were doing something wrong. I think the part that gets concerning is when we're taking artists and we are being moral moralists with them, when that is not the realm of it. And um, Kevin Spacey was canceled. The term cancel culture, um, I think, really exists as a way to a way some people have of trying to lessen the yes. horribleness of what some people do yes. by by giving it a name and say, oh, it's cancel culture. Oh, it's political yes. correctness. Well, yes. no, it's it's people really behaving tremendously badly to one another in a criminal kind of way and losing their damn jobs. And their right, All right. And I think the secondary thing is that we have a legal response to that. We have a justice system response to Kevin Spacey or, I mean, Kevin Spacey didn't go to jail or anything, but he is a good example of what you might call canceled because he was literally erased from a film. Um, But he's not going to get work again any day soon. He might again in the future, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Whereas someone like Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, they really did do something that was illegal. So there's a response in the justice system for that. When it's something that is unethical or or moralistically challenging, I think that's really what people mean by insulting it by calling it politically correct movement or cancel culture. Because it's called, in my world, it's called shunning. (laughs) Good old fashioned shunning. If someone, you just don't talk to that person. You stay away from them. You don't watch, if you don't like the painting by Goya or of Judith taking off the head and all the blood and gore, don't go to the gallery and don't go in that room. That's the only choice you have because um, somebody else might want to see that, right? Well, so I've always said to- that that with, with, with a painting, you look at a painting and you decide in the first pika second, whether you want to give it a full second or two or three or a few minutes or an hour um, compared to a film where with a film, you have to invest more time in a film. Even if you walk out of a film, you're going to invest more time before you do it. But the unique thing about painting a single image is that you look at that and you start making judgments, value judgments, all kinds of judgments mm-hmm, about mm-hmm, that painting mm-hmm. in a in the less than the snap of a finger. And you just you make that call. I'm going to look at this. I'm not going to look at this. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that's unfortunate in some ways. It's fortunate in terms of time management. Um, great, you're, you haven't wasted your time in the gallery. You'll go on to the next thing. But the other thing, though, with uh, with a visual is a painting. It's a still, one still. It's a second in time. If the artist has done their work, you don't know what's waiting for you around the corner. Sometimes sitting there for 10 minutes and looking at something or having it or going back and looking again, it changes it. And I mean, I've had yeah, that experience it, it where be, I thought it, something was not interesting. And, and later it's, it's on, un, it was like- It's unfair of us, but I think that's part of our, our human condition. We we look at images and we make snap decisions. 
Well, because sometimes those images, we have all the logos and icons, they're supposed to be snap decisions. You look at traffic, here we are driving. The signs are made so we understand them completely so right away. I, I know as a painter, I always, I always think that when someone looks at my paintings, I have such a short time to grab their attention. Yeah, if that's I true. can't do it right true. away, I I've really failed, regardless yeah. of, of what juicy content my painting may have if you spend time <laughs> with it. If you're not going to spend time with it, it doesn't matter. So you right. have to be able to you have yeah, to be able true. to grab that attention uh, somehow in a very, very brief period of time. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Um, I'm just looking at my notes here. You know what? I, I, I'm going to pop back. I said I started something, and that was the Lost Kingdom, Blast Kingdom. Yes. But I finished something. I finished Operation Midnight Climax. What's that? Uh, oh, I, I mentioned it a while ago. Stang and I started listening to this podcast on our way down to, um, on our trip for the documentary, just driving. It's a great time to listen to podcasts. And it was about MK Ultra experiments, mm -hmm. Sidney Gottlieb and uh, George White and Alan Dulles and different CIA operations. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It's not my favorite podcast, but it had high production values. It was very much like a radio play. You had a narrator and sometimes they had people acting the part. So that part was really, that was fun. But it did have a lot of juicy playing out of um, the MKUltra um, tragedy because the CIA had been doing experiments on civilians as well as soldiers and institutional settings for about 10 years. And, it, and Sidney Gottlieb was a chemist for the CIA. And he basically was trying to find a way to do mind control. Can we, can we make MKUltra was the uh, epitome of Project Artichoke and uh, some other Project Bluebird. And those were both the idea, can we create an assassin without them knowing they're gonna be an assassin? much like the Manchurian Candidate. So the novel Manchurian Candidate and Naked And all Lunch those Matt both... Damon movies. Yeah, but that's much later. I'm talking yeah. about 1953. Um, you're right, Matt Damon, for sure. And um, I thought he had a bonk on the head and he forgot that he was an assassin. I didn't know they put him to sleep. I didn't remember that. And woke him up again. Um, and yeah, and Naked Lunch was about mind control as well. Um, all in that era. And um, the CIA took full... Um, thrill in that. And they basically had a hundred institutions, colleges, hospitals, psychiatric wards, um, and, and, and soldiers, where they sometimes told them they were giving them drugs, but very often they told them not. And what happened was lives were ruined. Some people died, but lives were ruined because unfortunately, if you take LSD and you don't know you're taking it, you, it basically gives you a psychotic break with reality you don't know that you've taken it. But if you take it, there's a process that the brain and the body goes through and it, you're unlikely to have a psychotic break. Um, it's not as harm, it's not, it's not guaranteed to be harmful, but without knowing, yes. So this goes through these guys, um, basically it focuses on Charles White, George White, who was in charge of setting up operations where he'd have a cocktail party in New York City, invite his friends, and he had no problem making friends and, and then secretly giving them LSD. And Man, he, that's a the, shitty thing to do, isn't it? Beyond, beyond, with the money from the CIA and with the, them providing the LSD. 
So it's a really interesting podcast on that way. And this also goes to our friend, Sarah, our, our, our special correspondent recurring. Um, I bet she knows a lot about um, MK Ultra stuff. Um, McGill University, there's a professor there. This has a Canadian thing. Donald Ewan Cameron worked out of McGill, who's a British um, scientist, lived in the USA, but worked in Canada. And um, he received $70,000 between 1957 and 1964, which is over half a million dollars in today's um, money. And he got this money from the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology, which I mentioned to you earlier in, in, in a few podcasts earlier. And this, this is a, a um, these documents have come out recently. Um, no one knew they were getting money from the CIA because they had this cover operation, the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology. And in fact, Margaret Mead was on the board of directors and her husband, Bateson, is an innovator or was an innovator of, of cognitive science. Um, eventually Cameron came to be part of the Canadian Psychiatric Association, but he fricking dosed 127 people in Canada. And at some point, the, the paperwork on this was um, revealed and the fifth estate did a story on it in 1984. And those 127 victims sued the CIA and they all got about $100,000 each. Um, that seems like a just, very small bit of compensation to me. It does. In 1984, what that what would that be now? Three hundred thousand? I don't know. It still seems like because I mean it. Some of these experiments, and I can't speak for the Canadian ones, but some of these over the years, the CIA. This is all recorded. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This is real. Um, it it was a rumor for a long time until. Um, I think in 2015. I mean, it wasn't a rumor. It was it was known. They they did get that. Um, compensation from the CIA, by the way. So that was in 1984. We knew that was a fact then. But since then, there was 20,000 documents that have been brought out again that were found because these guys, this Gottlieb, he destroyed all his paperwork and so did George White. They tried to get rid of their evidence of the, of the, um, the things that they did in 1973. Now, 1973 is significant. Do you know why they were panicked? Alan Dules was panicked because of Watergate. So they started getting rid of some of this evidence because I guess they must have thought, how far is this looking into the CIA going to go, right? Right. Anyway, it was a really awesome overall, especially if you don't know anything about um, MK Ultra or Project Bluebird or Project Artichoke, um, I would look into this. It was a really fun, I think it was nine, 10 episodes. And it was a lot of fun listening to it because they did a really good job. It's a mainstream podcast. They did a great job. Um, a lot of people, there were some famous people that were unwittingly dosed with LSD as well. So the podcast is called Operation Midnight Climax? Correct. Okay. And some of the people that were dosed unwittingly, they didn't know, were Allen Ginsberg, Ken Kesey, and Whitey Bulger, the, the criminal, because they dosed people in prison. I think, oh, they may have volunteered to be dosed. Sorry, I think they volunteered. Robert Hunter from The Grateful Dead, and unbeknownst to him, Ted Kaczynski. It's been proven that the Unabomber had been part of this experimental program, but he didn't know they were doing it to him. Wow. Yes, yes. You know, that's what I'm saying. You've got to watch that movie, Worm. I, I've recommended Wormwood a couple of times to you. It's on Netflix. And it's a beautiful, fascinating documentary from the perspective of the son of Frank Olson, who is a famous LSD death. 
He was dosed by the CIA and he worked for the CIA. He was also a chemist for them. He was dosed and about three weeks later, he fell out of a New York window and there was LSD in his system. And then later, because the family said it wasn't an accident, he was murdered. Um, they dug him up and um, found his head injuries that he had been knocked, knocked out before he was thrown out of the window wow. or fell out of the window oh, I'll try to watch in New that. York City. Well, I, 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 the, one of the other reasons I recommended it to you is because there's collage comes into it. <laughs> yeah, the, the sun does collage and it's pretty interesting. They just show segments of it. Um, they don't focus on his, his hobby too much. But um, so that was a pretty good podcast. And um, like I say, I'm sure that um, Sarah probably knows a bit more about this stuff than I do. But it's always been, MKUltra has always been a fascination of mine in this project. And that story when it broke in Montreal at McGill University was really, you know, you thought the CIA was bad, but then you find out, oh, and we haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg on that, what they've done. They're not allowed to do that anymore. And you know what happened to all that research? I'm sure that if they're not allowed to, the CIA wouldn't be doing it. No, I know, exactly. I want to tell you, you know what they did with all that research from Sidney Gottlieb, the chemist, and um, these nefarious studies? It's all put into use for interrogation. Mm. So everything we saw come out of um, Guantanamo was learned from that. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. No. So anyway, I highly recommend The Last Kingdom. It's really exciting. The uh, Back to that medieval English, right. British, UK struggle between Danes and um, those dastardly Danes. And, the dastardly um, Danes. The... Uh, upcoming sense of defining the, the royalty in England or the, the, I guess, like the Republic from Plato structure of England's control system, England's unique control system, as opposed to our control systems, um, is really, really fun. It's beautiful, good acting, great actors, though. The main character is pretty handsome. Yeah. <laughs> We've continued, started, to, um, we've continued to watch American Rust. Oh, good. Um, it's still, it's continuing to stream. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's getting more interesting as, as the story becomes more involved, I think. In the recent episode, um, the, um, the main character, Del, um, is asked to pay a, a debt and it goes back to his dark past. And oh. he has a huge uh, kind of moral um problem to face um uh billy uh is in jail and he's protecting his friend isaac who's on the road and is turning to sex work um and i hate when that happens uh yeah so there's a lot of soap going on in this in this thing but it's uh it's it is well done and so we're continuing to watch it I would say the last episode was probably the best of the episodes. But again, I still think that none of them are as good as the one I've been comparing it to, which is mayor of East town. So that's really all (laughs) I'm going to say about uh, that one today is that we're continuing to watch it. Uh, Meanwhile, there's a a couple other movies that, that we also watch. Well, one we, we tried to watch, but didn't get very far. (laughs) I'll talk about that one. Shots fired. We went to see, well, we didn't go to see, we watched on, <laughs> on the streamer, on the streaming machine, mm-hmm. 
we the watched uh, we watched a new film uh, that I just recently heard. I it's with uh, Jake Jake Gyllenhaal, and I heard an interview with him talking about it recently. Uh, and, the, and the film is called The Guilty. It's directed and produced by Antoine uh, Fuqua. Uh, whose history mm. is in video production, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the remake of a 2018 Danish film. Um, it's, it's about an L.A. cop who, for some reason, isn't doing cop work. He's working the night shift at a 911 call center, and he's awaiting a court hearing for some kind of incident. And he gets a call from a woman who says she's been abducted. And he starts from the perspective of being this 911 call answerer. He's making calls to his buddies, the cops, and he's trying to get, he's trying to save this woman. But all is not what it seems. However, right. um, it wasn't very good. We abandoned ship. <laughs> we just, you know, part of the problem, part of the problem is that every single scene is Jake Gyllenhaal in this call center. <laughs> like, come on. I just I yeah, need to see more. I don't want to just see Jake Gyllenhaal in a, in a call center. It's just not that, it's just not that interesting. Shots fired. So Too I'm funny. sure there's an interesting story there, but we weren't willing to give it any more time than, you know, back to the idea of time. Fair enough. In, a, in a film, you, we all have our limits. You, you wait and you wait and you wait and you, you say, right, am I going to stick this out because I think the whole thing is going to have something for me or am I just going to say enough? And this one just, mm-hmm. we said enough and uh, we abandoned ship on, on that one. Um, and we were looking for something to watch after that and, uh, and we decided we would watch an, an older film from 2007 that uh, we figured would be pretty good. And um Somehow or another, I didn't see this one when it came out. It was Primal Fear, starring uh, Richard Gere, directed by Gregory Hoblet. Uh, Laura Linney is in it, and Ed Norton is the real star of the of the show. Ed wow. Norton, who looks like he's 17. <laughs> and maybe he was. I don't know. In 2007, I don't know how old he was. Also, Frances McDormand has a role in it as a psychiatrist. And... Cool. Andre Brower has a role in it. At the same time, he was um, he had, he had just done all the um, all all the homicide shows, but his role isn't very big. He's like an assistant to Richard Gere in this one. Mm. But it's interesting because the Ed Norton character appears to have multiple personality disorder of some variety, mm. and mm. you know there was a whole episode in. Uh, in Homicide, where Andre Brower has this killer in the box and he's interrogating her and she appears to be several different people in one in one right. body. So that, that was kind of interesting. Um, uh, Richard Gere plays a fancy pants, fancy ass lawyer, um, takes his case on pro bono and it's got a stupid title. It's got a title that's, oh, let's go see this because it's called Primal Fear. So the question I have is, is it a pretty good courtroom drama or is it what uh, they would like you to believe, a tense psychological thriller? Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a pretty good courtroom drama with a little bit of tense psychological th- thriller thrown in. Um, it's pretty decent, 
but it's pretty decent on the strength of a really fantastic cast who take mm -hmm. what I think is a mediocre story and bring it to life really well. And particularly Ed Norton, whose performance is no wonder he became really quite a star because his performance is, is very, very well done. Really, I love him. Really, really I love fantastic. Him. He um, is amazing. You know, he's, uh, he's accused of, of a really nasty murder of a priest. Did you see this one? No. no you haven't seen it? Oh, what year? What's it called again? 2007, Primal Fear. Oh, I have seen it. I'm sorry. I have seen it. Because I'm going back to remembering this description of Ed Norton. Of course I've seen it. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's quite a good yes. film. I mean, I'm not going to say good. it's a great film, but I'm going to say no, it's, it's, very a, good. it's a good genre film. And yes. um, really, really well, well done. Uh, highly enjoyable. I, I think it's... Uh, uh, well well worth watching i'm just laughing at me going like have i seen it i don't know anymore yeah no, oh yeah i've seen it. it i love it yeah, yeah. no i want to see it again i know i was like what no i do love it i remember enjoying it i don't remember very much about it i just remember being very good and well Edward that's that's the thing because it's not yes. the story isn't really strong enough that you're going to remember Correct. everything about it it's which a good. it's a story which by that time was already tired but they brought sure. it. They brought it to life because yes, you, you could take even a tired story, and if if you script it well enough and you have really good actors, you could turn it into a really good piece. And I would say I would extend that to comedy. One of the reasons. Let me think. I think I've got the word I was trying to think of. Um, when I think of Emil Joaquin that I saw in Vegas when he is making all these jokes at the expense of nurses. The reason they're funny is because it's an incongruous situation that catches you off guard and you find ways to look at a situation that is hilarious. And because nurses are beloved and they are healthcare workers, especially through the pandemic, he chose that topic on purpose and gave us incongruous settings to make us laugh. And in the same way, I think that's you know, that's why comedy works is because it's the unexpected solution to something that we know is in the back of our minds. We know it's out there, but we don't know how to talk about it. And comics often tap into that energy. And that's why their art form can be so um, healing and push culture forward, push society into a better place. It, 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 laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, mostly, mostly comics. Mostly, mostly. Yeah, that's because, <laughs> and that's fine because that's not your favorite art form. That's true. But, but it is an art form. Of course it, it is. is created. It's storytelling, and it's not real, and it pushes the boundaries of what we think about reality, and what we think about morality as well. And you know what? It's not for everyone, and sometimes it does insult a segment of what we think we should be like we should be nice people we should be kind we should accept everybody we should be equal or we, we should, should at least not be hurtful or not be trying to make a career out of being hurtful right but that's extremely unfair to say about dave Chappelle. just for the record that's extremely unfair to say about him maybe some people are doing that but he is not okay like I say, I know shit about it, so I, I can't really say more than that. I just know that there's a group out there who who are are feeling pretty darn upset. And, and there's a group out there that also feel upset 
that that group isn't helping support them. So that's why I say this isn't mm-hmm. going to end today. You yep. have two gotcha. under undervalued segments of society, the black man, and we don't have reparations. They've been ripped off about everything in the United States. And then we have gay people who have been punished, women, um, minorities of a different kind. These minorities are at odds with each other right now. They don't seem to be working together. I don't know what to say, but I'm, I'm an observer as well. I'm, I'm also wondering what's going to happen with this. Okay. Tragedy and time. That's the other thing with comedy. Tragedy and time. That's, that's the uh, plaster that a comic makes their work out of. Tragedy and time. Mm-hmm. I think, Is that the name I of think our we podcast? have the title of the podcast today. <laughs> Yay, us. And on that um, note, I would really like to hear what I, if anyone's a fan of Dave Chappelle or if they think he's the biggest asshole on the planet. Um, this is your chance you to like weigh, George, weigh in. Yeah. George Carlin, did you find him offensive? Uh, Andrew Dice Clay, Nikki Glaser, all of these guys are out there. Girls are working in this venue. Do you like chess? Do you play chess? Do you watch chess on YouTube <laughs> with Eugene? You're a geeky friend. We, yeah. We want to hear from you. Who takes time you know out from, to... takes time out from watching fiddle videos <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, go streaming in order to watch chess. Well, listen, I'm pretty geeky too. I'm going around talking to people that I talk to online saying, how does it feel to talk to me online? I feel good about talking to you online. So, I mean, we all have our little thing. I'm going to geek out this week. We're going to go see a bunch of galleries in New York city tomorrow after I get my car fixed. <laughs> and, uh, and we want you to email us at the agency dot podcast at gmail. And where where are you going to be next week? I'll be on my way back home. Okay, to Chicago. So we're going to be. So I have to. We'll I have to, hang to you with in the beans. car. You might talk to me in the car. You might talk to me here back in this situation okay. where I'm sitting in my friend's bedroom. He's renovated his house, and now he has a place for us to stay. And um, you might see me here again next week. Okay. On that note. And for those who want to know, I do still have my job. <laughs> I talked to my bosses last week and checked in with them. Yes, I, I'm going to be on the schedule. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So again, we'd like to hear from you. Um, give us your opinion about all the things we've talked about today. And uh, next week, we'll try not to be interrupted by phone calls. <laughs> and we'll be back at you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.